0: and um that that day is going to come and uh but down right now in this time um this is a special time where we get to co-labor with the Lord you know this is this is your opportunity this is your shot to to serve God and to help him in the earth and so to me I mean that's an exciting time now thank God for heaven Thank God when there is no more battle and there are no more tears or sickness or disease or any attack of the enemy. Thank God for those things. But right now is when we really have an opportunity to work together with the Lord. And, um, and, and you know, what does that look like? Well, that just looks like you doing what God's telling you to do. You know, uh, you following, you know, the, the certain mandates that are in Scripture. But, but ultimately, you just living your life and doing what you're called to do. I mean, you're not called to fulfill someone else's calling. Amen. You don't have to be Billy Graham in order to fulfill your calling. Um, but we are called to, to do what God is leading us to do as individuals. And this is our opportunity to, to work together with Him. And you're never going to get another opportunity like this again. You know, sometimes, I, you know, you, when we're in heaven, and thank God for when we get to heaven, but game's over at that point. And um, we'll never get another opportunity. To really fight a battle, to withstand the enemy, to withstand temptation, all of these things. And so I know the battle is challenging, and I know that, it's, that it can be very difficult, and I know this life can be hard, but this life is this big compared to eternity. And so um, the battle has an expiration date, but right now there's a certain joy in overcoming together with your Father. And, uh, you know, th- they may be financial battles. They may be health battles. They may be family battles. They may be relationship battles. There may be really the primary battle, which is to win souls into the kingdom. Um, there's all different kinds of battles, but this is your opportunity. Now, how many know that, that um, the work is finished in terms of sin and death and hell and the grave? Like Jesus conquered the devil on the cross, right? It's a finished work. And so we're actually living in the victory lap, uh, but God wants us to work together with Him to advance the kingdom in the earth. And uh, He wants to co-labor with us and partner with us and work with us. But he, and, and so that's an exciting thing, and He's called you to overcome. And so what He's going to do is, number one, He wants to convince you how much He loves you uh, because that is the primary place that you minister out of. If you're ministering in order to be loved or accepted by God, you're doing it wrong, okay? Uh, God loves you whether you minister or not. God loves you whether you fulfill the call of God on your life or not. God's not disappointed in you. Um, God loves you the way a father loves a son or loves a daughter. Amen? And that's not going to be taken away from you. And so God wants to establish the reality of love inside of you first. I mean, that's what the gospel does. But then he wants that love to flow through you. And that's what serving God looks like. It's letting love flow through you in whatever capacity, however your gifts operate, whatever God's placed in your life, whatever God's placed in your hands, should be an expression of love. Amen? I mean, we're called to serve each other. That's what real leadership is. Leadership is we just serve each other. We help each other. There's nobody in this room that's any better than anybody else. We all need Jesus. And uh, we're called to serve each other, but love flowing through you is what advances the kingdom. And when love is flowing through you properly, people will be pointed to Jesus and not yourself, uh, not your church, not your ministry. It will be pointed to Jesus. Amen? Because when love is flowing to you and through you, that's when you finally enjoy that freedom of actually being set free from yourself. Amen? Uh, and that is our highest calling, and that's the greatest enjoyment that our life can have is letting love come to us and that letting that love flow through us. But God's called us to overcome. How many other things to overcome? You know, we we're we're living in a time right now when the battles are raging everywhere. You know, I I I have I spend more time in prayer in this season than I ever have in my entire life. I'm constantly in prayer, and um, not because um, you know because I'm trying to you know blow my spiritual horn, but because I need it. (laughs) Like I need I need I need Him. Like I absolutely have to have Him because. There's so much battle that's raging. How I many there's a battle that's raging over our nation? Um, there, there's, there's a battle raging between good and evil. And uh, there's a fight that's going on. But, and we're called to the battle. We're called to fight. And uh, you know, what does that look like? Well, what's God telling you to do? Amen. That, that's, that's, that's the number one thing. Being led by the Spirit of God. Being led by love. And then I'll, and I'll also say this. Uh, the demonstration of your spirituality is not the, the greatness of your gift... But it's the way you treat people. It's the way you treat people. Can I get an amen? amen. Not strangers, the people that are close to you. Amen. That, that's where the rubber meets the road. How many know we can get good at being nice to people, to strangers? But how many know the, the test of your spirituality is how do you treat the people in your own home? Man, it's quiet in here. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Rubber meets the road in the love walk. And with your spouse, with your kids, um, with your, you know, your brothers and sisters, all of these things, that's, that's, where, that's where true... Because I mean, you know, spirituality is not the abundance of revelation you have. How I many you know it's not how many gifts you flow in. It's not how charismatic you are. It's not the things that you have. How I many you know it's, it's, it's how you treat people? Amen. How I many you know that, um, that they will know us by our fruit... And the fruit that they're talking about is love. Can I get an amen? How I many you know it can be difficult to walk in love in the season that we're in? Because there's so many people that are angered. There's so many people that are offended. And there's so many things that are happening that are wrong. Okay? Like really, really wrong. And, and so what, what it can do is it can try to draw you over into the flesh. You, you cannot fight this spiritual battle with your flesh. You cannot fight this spiritual battle with anger. You cannot fight this spiritual battle with aggression. You, you've got you've to, you've primarily, number one, you've got to maintain your peace. Don't let anything or anyone pull you out of peace. Not your spouse, not your kids, not the news, not politics, not anything that's going on. Maintain your peace, because out of your place of peace, you're very powerful. Powerful. You have power out of that place of peace. But what I have found in my own life is because of some of the injustices that are happening and things that are happening that are wrong, it's pulled me out of my position of peace and and I've been in a place of anger. And out of a place of anger, I'm ready to fight a battle. But if I'm fighting in the flesh, I'm not winning. See, the enemy would love nothing more than to bring you over into the flesh and to make you angry and offended and fight from that place and here's the thing you can be fighting a good cause from a from a place of anger and offense and the expression that comes out of you won't be the kingdom even though your cause is good even though what you're setting your hand to is good but if you're out of a place of being offended and being angry then what happened is um, you're actually just as much a part of the problem as the injustices that are happening so it's key. How many of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy? Don't let anybody pull you out of your place of peace. And, and it may it, and it may change some of your relationships. It may it may change some of the time on the people that you spend. It may it may affect what you watch and what you look at. You know, because your peace, you are powerful when you operate out of peace. Because out of that place of righteousness, peace, and joy, the kingdom can flow, and love can flow, and the answer can flow. You know who the answer is? Jesus. We need Jesus flowing out of us, not offended anger. Amen. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not elements of righteous indignation. It doesn't mean that you don't take a stand for truth. It doesn't mean that you know, you're not called to be a doormat. How I many know oh, you are called to overcome? Can I get an Amen. But, but the element of overcoming is going to be the kingdom. It's going to be Jesus Christ. Because Jesus doesn't look down and see human beings as enemies. Amen. I mean, we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against the enemy. The enemy has always been the enemy, not a person. I mean, you know, in, the, in the garden, um, the enemy brought division and caused Adam and Eve to come against each other. What happened? Well, right after they sinned, I mean, you know, immediately the blame game started. Well, who, who was the real? Was Adam the enemy? Was Eve the enemy? No. Was God the enemy? No. Who was the enemy? The devil. The devil was behind the curtain, pulling the strings, getting everybody to fight against each other. The real enemy is the devil. And even people that have submitted themselves to the devil and allowed him to use them, Knowingly or unknowingly, they are still not the enemy. How many of you know they need to get set free? Can't get an amen. How many of you know there was a period of time where the devil's greatest weapon was Saul of Tarsus? And, and I guarantee you there were some disciples who would love to have just killed him. So, dude, if we can just kill Saul, we'll be fine. And you know if we can just get rid of Saul, Saul's the one putting us in jail. Saul's the one putting us in prison. Saul, 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 Saul. And I guarantee you, there were some believers at the time who got over into the flesh, got over into carnality, and think, man, if we can just kill Paul or we can just kill Saul, then all our problems will be fixed. But how many know God's plan wasn't to kill Saul? God's plan was to save Saul. God's plan is always salvation. You don't have a flesh and blood enemy. The enemy is the devil. And so in warring the fight that we fight, how many of you know it's key that we pray for our enemies. We got to pray for them. Not attack them, not try to kill them, not try to slander them. We got to pray for them. Why? Because they're being used by the enemy. We pray for them, we're good to them, and in doing so we heap hot coals upon the head. And when it's talking about the head, it's not talking about their head, it's talking about the head, the serpent, who's, who's lording over their lives, using them and hurting them. I mean, you know, there's tremendous deception that's going on right now. There are, there are people, I know good people, that I love, um, who are so deceived, I can't even talk to them. Like, I, ha- I had to get away from them. And I love them, but I can't talk to them. Because when I talk to them, I get mad. And I get out of peace. And so I have to have a season of... You're over there, and I'm over here. And I'll, I'm going to pray for them. But how many you know you this is very important. You cannot argue someone out of deception. <laughs> you just can't do it. You cannot debate someone out of deception. You can't argue someone out of deception. Why? Because someone who's operating in deception, I want you, remember a Wizard of Oz, behind the curtain, pulling the levers? When someone's in deception, they're captive. They're captive in their mind. And so when you stand against the facade, the Wizard of Oz facade of their deception, and they're pulling the levers and they're yelling at you and screaming at you, how many know what you're doing is you're actually engaging their pride to get them to hunker down and stay in that place of deception? And so you're in your pride... Because you want to prove that you're right, and they're and their pride, and then there you are, just clinging mass, clanging symbols. There's a distinct absence of love that's present. Clanging symbols. Christianity should not be clanging symbols. I mean, you know when there's an absence of love, that's all we are. Who can be the loudest? And that's not the answer. That's not what wins the battle. That's not what fights the war. God loves every single person that is deceived. And he wants to, he wants to set them free from that deception. And, and, and I remember Ananias. You know, after Paul you know, was not, had an encounter with Jesus, knocked off his donkey, the Lord speaks to him, the man whom I'm sure many wanted to kill, God wanted to save and God wanted to redeem and God spoke to Ananias and said, I want you to go pray for, for Saul, for Paul. And Ananias was like, do you know who this guy is? You know, do you know who this is? Because, and it's funny, because the only time you really hear Ananias' name is when God calls on him to go pray for Paul. Now, we, see, we, hear, we hear Paul's name all the time. Okay. What if Ananias was so offended that God couldn't call on him to help someone who had disagreed with him for so long? What if Ananias was so angry and so upset and so hurt because of the deception that Paul had operated in, that his heart was so filled with offense that he couldn't lay hands on Paul so that Paul could receive his true sight, so that Paul could be filled with the Spirit, so that Paul could step into the radicalness of his calling, which is to write two-thirds of the New Testament. God was about to pour things in Paul that he didn't pour in Peter and John or any of the twelve disciples. But what if Ananias was so angry and so hurt and so offended at the deception that Saul had operated in that he refused to go pray for the one that God wanted to help? They are not your enemy. This is not, this is not a battle of us versus them in any way. It's Almighty God looking to save all of mankind. And it's us against the devil who's looking to keep people in a place of deception and to keep people in a place of bondage. And we've got to be ready to be the Ananias to those that... that, that I mean, you know, there could have been a place in Ananias where he said, Ha ha, Paul got knocked off his donkey. That's right, Paul. (laughs) That's right, you got what was coming to you. I mean, you know, as good people, as believers, we never rejoice in evil. When evil befalls any human being, we don't rejoice in evil, rejoice in good. We don't overcome evil with evil. We can't drop down to the level that the enemy's playing on. We've got to operate higher than that. We've got to operate in a position of love. But rather than Ananias rejoicing at Paul being knocked off of his donkey, rather than him staying in a place of offended anger, he became what he was called to do, which was a peacemaker. Now, how I many you know he did not compromise truth in the making of peace? Can I get an amen? I mean, you oh, know that Jesus said, "I've come. My peace is not like the world's peace." See, the world tries to main peace, maintain peace through compromise of all truth. There's no such thing as truth. What, what's true for you is your truth. What's true for me is my truth. We need to coexist. We all need to play nice together. That's garbage. That's absolute garbage. Christianity does not coexist with other gods. Okay, if you'll notice, God doesn't play around with other gods. God doesn't play around with idols. They bow to Him. So you never compromise truth, ever. Why? Because in compromising truth, we'd be, we'd be dishonoring our God. We're not going to dishonor our God. But as we hold the position of truth, we must be the helping hand, not the pointed finger. The pointed finger does not set people free who are behind the veil of delusion. We, we point out what's wrong with them. We point out you know their, their, their political things that they're involved in. We point out, we point out, we point out, we point out, we point out. We're just driving them deeper into the bunker of delusion. And God says, I want to save those people. I want to help them. Yes, they're a part of a machine. Yes, they're a part of destruction. Yes, they're, they're being used by the enemy. But God says, I died for them. I need you to join the fight on my team. Not, not, not on all these other teams. Be on my team. And in being on the team of the kingdom, there will be moments where you will look weak. How many know sometimes love looks weak? How many know there are people who could have rose up and called out Ananias and been like, what's wrong with you? You're going to Saul? You're going to help Saul? You are weak. You are, you know, you are watered down. You are lukewarm. You're not on fire. Why are you helping them? What's wrong with you? But how many, know sometimes, how many know love doesn't care how weak it looks? Because love's not out to make a show anyway. Love's not out to demonstrate its own righteousness or its own deservedness. Love says, I'm here because the Lord sent me, and I'm not your enemy. I'm going to help you, and I'm going to love you, and I don't care if you bite back. I don't care if you throw stones, because I'm going to love you and love you and love you and love you and love you, because only... Love will set those captives free. Nothing else. Now listen, there is no way on God's green earth that you can love like that in your own strength. You can't do it. Because what will end up happening is you get mad. And you'll get in the flesh, and you'll look to justify yourself. And, And so, you've got to be connected to something that's greater than you if you're going to join this battle. And I'm talking about Jesus Christ. How many know that we're called to be connected to the vine? We're the branches. He's the vine. All strength comes from Him. Amen? And so, and of course, staying connected means that you understand that you're forgiven and you're the righteousness of God, no matter what, can I get an amen? Whether you get mad or don't get mad, whether you do what's right or you do what's wrong, God will never condemn you. I mean, no, you, are on, you are in the family. You are on his team. Can you get an amen? Because what will happen is the enemy will rile you up and make you angry and then condemn you for being angry and then make you feel like God's against you. What a punk. You know what I'm saying? What an absolute punk. But that's what he does. And so, you know, because I've had moments in, the, in this season where I have gotten so mad because of the things that are going on that I got completely out of the spirit like completely out of the spirit. And then I'm mad. And there I am and I'm mad. And it's not good for me. It's not good for my family. you I know? Mean, and I've said this before, but you can't compartmentalize anger. You can't just put it in a little box. If you get really angry in one area, it'll start seeping over into other areas of your life. And then it'll just consume you. And then you're just as much a part of the problem of everything else that's going on. No, no, no. We have got to Maintain that peace. Don't allow the enemy to condemn you. Stay connected to the vine because you're going to need an everlasting supply of love in order to love these people that are deceived. Because that's the only thing that's going to change them is somebody who will rise up and love them in the midst of their deception, in the midst of their anger. Giving somebody a bottled water. You know, helping somebody, loving on somebody. When they revile, we don't revile back. That's key. How many know Jesus was reviled and he didn't revile back? Because if you are reviled and somehow your honor's hurt and yourself is hurt, and then you feel like you need to revile back, then there we are bickering and fighting, and the kingdom of darkness is just growing and growing and growing. How many know the enemy can work through Christians just like he can work through non Christians? (laughs) Praise God. I hate this mic. I hate it. I don't like it no more. I don't like you. <laughs> You're a necessary part of my life. I don't know, man. No, I do everything I can. I just, I'm ready to just duct tape it to my head, man. Just, yo, we from Kentucky. We duct tape mics. <laughs> you know, praise God. I don't have to shave this side of my beard ever. Just, <laughs> Amen. But we, we have to... Um, we have, to be, we have to be part of the answer. We have to let love flow, amen, as we take a stand for truth. Now, you can't do any of that in your own strength. Only the Lord can do that. Can I get an amen? Okay. Now, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life, through one Jesus Christ, so you're called to reign. That word in the Greek means basilio, and it means to reign as a king. Okay, you you've been given power, you've been given authority, you represent a kingdom that is not of this world, and you are called to overcome. So, so what? And, and how many know? Sometimes overcoming is not just some outward show of victory. How many know? Sometimes overcoming is overcoming the anger on the inside of us. Sometimes overcoming is is overcoming uh, the, 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 the desire to be offended. But you're called to overcome. Everybody say overcome. overcome. Overcome, man. You're called, you know, I know Nike hijacked, you know, just do it in victory, but that actually comes from the Greek. Uh, the word Nike, it means victory. And uh, you're, called, you're called to overcome. You're called to be victorious, and you're going to do it through God's love, and so Every moment that you're in this... See, this is 1% of ministry, the pulpit. This is 1%. This is where God flows out and endeavors to fill you up so that you have something to give and and to teach you how to have your own relationship with God. But most ministry happens out here. And when you're out there in the times we're living in, there's so much darkness that, uh, man, you're, you're called to minister all the time. All the time, man. Kroger's, Walmart, gas station. It's time to shine the light. How do you shine the light? Let the fruit of the Spirit flow, love people, love, peace, joy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and then do whatever God tells you to do. If He tells you to pray for somebody, pray for somebody. He tells you to talk to somebody, talk to somebody. Sometimes it's still a song of voice, sometimes it's an unction, sometimes it's just a want to. You just have a want to. Follow it, man. And, and that, that's where real ministry happens. How I many you know the light shines in darkness? See, we are here today gathered together as the light. But we are called to shine out there. That's the primary purpose of why you're still on earth, okay? And, and there's plenty of opportunity to shine. How I mean, you know, kindness sticks out so much right now. When, when you're kind, you're so different than everybody else. And, 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 and so, there's so many opportunities to be kind right now. There's so many opportunities to carry the fragrance of Jesus wherever you go, Amen? And so, but we overcome by, by two, receiving two things. Number one, an abundance of grace, okay? And, and what, what grace is, that? grace is simply this, God has already blessed you. Can I get an amen? You're not trying to get blessed. You're already blessed. It's a past tense event. You have been blessed by the Lord, and everything that you have need of, God's going to supply to you, to an overflow. Okay, and he gives it to you first. You're not trying to get it from him. He gives it to you first. Now, faith takes the fork, stabs it into it, and eats it. But the table's set. All you got to do is eat. Amen? But so, and, and in this abundance of grace, everything that God has is yours, and you get it for free through Jesus. Okay? You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You certainly can't buy it. It's all for free. It's through the Lord. And then also within that, there's an eternal forgiveness that's been given to you because as you're out there in this world, how many know your feet sometimes get dirty? What are you talking about? How many, how many sometimes you see things you probably shouldn't have seen? You hear things that you probably shouldn't hear. You make mistakes, maybe. You make you have failures, you have opportunities. So your feet are going to get dirty as you walk in this life. But let me tell you something the dirt can't touch your spirit. The sin can't touch your spirit. The mistakes can't touch your spirit. Your spirit's been sealed by the Spirit of Almighty God. And so you've been given an eternal righteousness through Jesus that's not going to be taken away from you, and you're going to need it in order to operate out there. Because you know what? You're going to have days when you get mad, you're going to have days when you run off at the mouth, you're going to have days when you make mistakes. And you know what's awesome? The Lord will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's not going to pull the call of God off of your life. He's not going to pull the giftings out of your life. He said, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Come here, let me clean your feet. I mean, that's what Jesus did with the disciples. He washed their feet. In the society that they lived in, their feet were constantly dirty because all the roads were muddy and dirty. All the roads were dusty and dirty and they wore sandals. And so when Jesus said, let me show you what leadership is, he he, he put a a servant's garb on, and he washed their feet, and and he had the linen with him. Now, that linen represents the righteousness of God. Linen in Scripture always represents the righteousness of God. And so what the gospel does is it comes in, and it reminds you who you are. It reminds you that you're loved, that you're forgiven, and your focus should be Jesus and not yourself. And then the gospel is going to wash... Your feet. The washing of the water of the Word. is going to wash your mind. When your conscience gets overladen with your mistakes and your shortcomings, it's going to wash you. It's going to say, you're my kid. <clears throat> you know, my kids are my kids. No matter what they do, you know, they're, they're, if they're covered in dirt, they're my kids. If they're, if they're totally clean, they're my kids. And how I many you know when you make a mistake, it's not time to run from God. It's time to run to God. Can I get an amen? As you're in the war that's out there, as you're in the battle that's out there, you need to know that. And where man-made religion failed us as they told us that when we failed, all of a sudden now God's not for us. That's, man, that's such garbage. That's like sending a soldier into enemy territory, dropping him off in enemy territory and saying, hey, you're on your own, we're not for you. How many, of how many of y'all, that soldier can't do anything but die? And that's one of the reasons Christians have been so weak in the earth for so long is because the world hates us, and we've been taught that God hates us too. And that's a flat-out lie. There's therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? So, receiving an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you're called to overcome. Now, drop down to verse 21 of the same chapter. And I just want, because grace flows through righteousness, okay? And you have to understand that the, the, the righteousness of the new covenant is not the same as the righteousness of the old covenant. Old covenant righteousness was based on behavior. When you did right, you were right. When you did wrong, you were cursed, and so something had to die. And that's why they had the temple sacrifices. Under the New Testament, righteousness, your righteousness is now a person. Your righteous, Jesus is your righteousness. He's been given to you as a gift. He that knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, the righteousness that you have is the righteousness which is of faith. How are you made right with God? Through believing. When you get to heaven and you knock on the door, no one's going to be like, I deserve to be here. Everyone's going to be like, I'm here because of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, you cannot earn salvation. You really can't earn anything from God. It's it's the grossest thing in the world to think that you can out-earn the blood of Jesus. You just can't do it. And so this righteousness, it's a righteousness which is of faith, okay? But everything from the kingdom flows through this righteousness is of faith. And so the enemy is always trying to mess that up. And he does it two ways. There's one way we talk about all the time. And there's another way that we hardly ever talk about. And that's really pr- primarily what I wanted to focus on. The first part of the, the, the message was more prophetic. And so we'll take a half hour to go into the teaching. But it says, So that as sin is rain and death... Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns through righteousness. Now, I was going to bring a water hose in here, but I, didn't, I just didn't manage to pull it off. But how many of you all know, just imagine with me a water hose, right? The water hose is what allows the water to flow. How many of you know if we kink the hose this way, we stop the flow? If we kink the hose this way, we stop the flow, Okay? So grace reigns through righteousness. Now, one of the ways... Now, the enemy is always trying to get you into self-righteousness. Because if he can get you in self-righteousness, it's going to frustrate the flow of grace in your life. There's a couple ways he tries to get you in self-righteousness. The number one way, and the way we talk about it all the time, is condemnation. All of a sudden, you, let's say you, you got mad at somebody. You cussed somebody out. You made a mistake. You fell short, Right? Now, what the enemy is going to try to do is say, see, look, now, you can't be blessed. You can't fulfill the call of God on your life. God's really disappointed in you. God's not for you. In fact, God's about to punish you. Now, that means the hose just got kinked in this direction and you've fallen into a state of condemnation. What is condemnation? I'm expecting punishment from God. I feel like God is against me. Now, when you fall into a state of condemnation, how many have ever experienced condemnation before? It's the primary attack of the enemy. This is his number one attack against the body of Christ. He's the accuser of the brethren. This is what he does. He, he hurls slander at us to try to make us feel like God's mad at us or against us. When you're in condemnation, now there's a couple of things that's happened to you. Now, when I'm in condemnation, am I trusting Jesus as my righteousness? I am now looking to myself. And I'm operating in what Isaiah calls the filthy rags of man's righteousness. And if you look at what those rags literally mean in the Hebrew, it means menstruation clause. And what menstruation clause is representing is that I'm not going to be able to bring forth. Okay, And so when I am looking at me as my right standing with God, and now I feel like I'm dirty and I've fallen short, and I'm in that state of condemnation, I'm committing... New Testament disobedience because I'm in unbelief concerning the cross. I'm saying Jesus didn't do a good job on the cross. I'm saying that my sin is not paid for and I'm not forgiven because I made a mistake. Now, is there anything more insulting to the work of the cross than me abiding in condemnation when God said I'm forgiven? These are strong words but I want to make it so plain to you that you don't tolerate it. I want you to, get, I want you to take a stand against any form of condemnation. You see, in the way, it would be great if the enemy would just operate in the third person. Oh, I'm the devil and I'm condemning you. It doesn't work like that. He tries to get into your inner voice and get you condemning yourself. Now, he can never go inside of you. I'm not saying that. But, when I, but he can shoot fiery darts. Lies, And what he'll do is, he'll get you in the first person condemning yourself. See, look what, see, look what I said. Look what I did. I'm just, I'm just, I, 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 me, <laughs> me, myself, and I. And, and I. I'm sorry, but what I want to show you is condemnation is self-focused. You're not called to focus on you. Can I get an amen? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And Jesus did a good job. So get out of your pity party and quit condemning yourself and get your faith back in the fact that the cross was a success and Jesus did a good job on the cross. Can I get an amen? Now listen, you're never going to come to a place in your life where the enemy stops trying to to kink your hose in this direction. You're never going to get to a pl- I don't care how much gospel you hear. I don't care. The enemy's always going to try to condemn you. It's his, it's his primary attack. So, when you, so this is what the enemy tries to do. You, he'll, he'll tempt you. Then you'll make a mistake. Then he condemns you. Then he tries to make you feel bad about being in condemnation. Because <laughs> you're like, I should be better than this. I know better than this. And then he condemns you for you experiencing condemnation. <clears throat> Listen, everybody on earth has to fight this battle this is actually what the fight of faith is. It's not the fight for getting your prayer answered. It's not the fight for protection or the fight for finances or the fight for health or the fight for relationships. It's, will I believe that I'm forgiven and I'm the righteousness of God. Because when you believe you're forgiven and you're the righteousness of God, the blessings flow. Relationship flows. It's the primary attack of the enemy. That's why I Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So the hose gets kinked in this direction, right? Condemnation, we fight against it. How many know you need to condemn those tongues of judgment? You need to. Nobody else can do it for you. You need to do it. And do it with boldness and with strength and with power because you're standing on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. See, you're not on trial. Your life's not on trial. Everybody in here, we've all made it. A billion mistakes. But you know what? The cross was greater than all of our mistakes. So when condemnation is trying to come against you, you know who's on trial? Jesus is. The blood's on trial. Was the blood good enough? Then stand up, put your shoulders back, and condemn that punk devil who's trying to keep you down. Don't tolerate that junk. Because if you tolerate it, and condemnation starts to grow and fester, that's when weapons formed against you prosper. Because condemnation erodes your faith. It causes your heart to condemn itself. How many other and that's that's where depression comes from? That's where a lot of sickness comes from. That's where a lot of horrible things happen when we feel when we operate in a state of condemnation. No, no, no. You condemn the tongues of judgment that arise against you. Stand on the cornerstone. Don't stand on your own personal holiness. Don't stand on your morality. Don't stand on your church attendance. Don't stand on your giving. Don't stand on your fasting. Don't stand on anything from you. Stand on Jesus Christ, on that solid rock, because from that place, you have every right and every authority to condemn any tongue of judgment that try to rise against you, because the blood was enough. Okay, get an amen. Very important to understand that. Now, the second way the enemy tries to get us into self-righteousness is pride. And this is the one that we're not as good at. But we need to get good at it if we're going to reign in life and overcome. Because this is what happens a lot of times. Uh, um, uh, Tim, will you come up here pretty please? I know. Sorry. Come on up here. You're our Jesus, brother. Let's give it up for Jesus one time. Let's go, Jesus! Turn and face everybody pretty please. I'd have to think Jesus looks somewhat like that. Amen? And so, thank you. And so, what we've learned to do, how many know that this represents Jesus? How you know Jesus your righteousness is not an action or a behavior. Your righteousness is now a person. And so when you first get saved, you embrace Jesus as your righteousness. Right? When you first get saved. How you know when you first get saved you have peace, you have joy. I mean, <clears throat> you have more, you have peace, you have joy, your prayers are being answered, you have relationship with God. I can remember when I first got saved, I was still making all kinds of mistakes I didn't grow up in church i didn't I barely knew what right and wrong was i I, I can remember when I first got saved, I was working in this factory and and i would I would pray over my food every day like in the break room like you know because i'm you know I'm, I'm ready to serve God, but i'd be dropping f bombs throughout the day because I didn't know no better <clears throat> and 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 But you know what? God still met me. God still had a relationship with me. God still spoke to me. God was still my father. Can I get an amen? I was learning what it was like to be a son of God, and I didn't know. And so I was really rough around the edges. But you know what? I wasn't looking at me. I was looking at Jesus. My eyes were on Jesus. He was my righteousness, and we operated in relationship. And then it would take years of man-made religion to separate me from Jesus as my righteousness and get me looking at myself and what I was doing. Man, can I can I ask God for help? I don't know. Have I I given properly? Have I prayed properly? Have I acted properly? Have I cussed this week? What have I done wrong? Me, 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 me. If I look at me, I'll be sorely disappointed. But this thing began with Jesus. And how many know it needs to end with Jesus too? Can I get an amen? It's not about me at all. It's about the Lord. And so Unfortunately, legalism taught me to distance myself from Jesus so that I would begin to produce my own righteousness. Then I began to learn how to establish my own righteousness. And it took many different forms. And outwardly, I looked like I was just so on fire for God. Boy, that young man's just on fire for God. I was the poster child for being on fire for God. Come out of drugs and alcohol, this guy's on fire for God. I'm on fire. Every service, screaming, yelling, dancing, giving. Praying, I mean, anything. You know what? There's some great things that happen in it, but I was slowly getting removed from Jesus. And I didn't even know it. While I was serving Him, I was actually being removed from Him. (laughs) And I was ceasing to become the prodigal son, and I was becoming the elder brother. Thank you. Come on, Tim. (laughs) Jesus never turns, He's always. He's always. I turn. I turn. Amen. I knew what I was getting myself into when I called him up here. Praise God. That's what I spent all my time in prayer this morning over was actually Tim. Lord, please let Tim act right when I use him as an example this morning. Okay. I'm only kidding, man. But, but slowly, um, all of my good behaviors became why I deserved God's blessing and God's love and God's favor. So I became a laborer in a field rather than a son sitting in the father's lap. True story. And I became hurt, burnout, bitter, and broken. I would say I was more broken in church than I was on the streets. Because at least when I was on the streets, I knew what I was doing was wrong. When I was in church, I thought what I was doing was right. But inwardly, I was dying. And uh, uh, inwardly was dead men's bones. Why? Because I left Jesus as my righteousness, and I began to try to establish my own righteousness. And it 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 left me. And here's the challenge: If you try to make God in debt to you through your good behavior, you've left grace. And here's the thing: You ain't getting squat from the Lord. If you want some fruit, you have to go to Walmart and buy it and tape it on your tree. Because you ain't producing no fruit like that. And we did go to Walmart and buy fruit and tape it on our tree and brag about it. We're like, look, we got fruit. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. We got fruit. Oh, wait, hold on. Because God owes you nothing. And he never will. So never for a moment think that he owes you anything. Legalism at its very root is, is I'm going to be good enough to control God. We don't owe him anything. Well said. We know we don't. You're right. You're exactly right. That's what the song was talking about this morning. And so. But here's the thing. How I many know he doesn't owe you anything? But how I many know he'll give you everything for free through Jesus? But he wants to give it to you as a gracious gift, not as a wage that you earned. <clears throat> See, and I use this example all the time, but. If you know, if my sons, you know, over Christmas they come and say, "Dad, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna earn every single gift under that tree. Every gift under that tree, you're gonna owe me because I'm gonna be so good this year that you're gonna owe me every gift." I mean, you know, if if they take that approach, they're going to be robbed of the joy of receiving from their father, and I'm going to be robbed from giving to them because I love them, and Christmas will become a transaction where we give out paychecks to employees rather than gifts to sons and daughters. See, love can't be experienced in a transaction format. And what we've done, what, what legalism does, is it tries to prostitute the goodness of God. I'm going to make God bless me. I'm going to make Him. Are y'all tracking me here? But how I many you know, outwardly, it looks really good. Like when I was on fire for God, it looked amazing. But you know what? I, I, I did not. The harder I worked, the less I believed that he loved me. Are y'all tracking me here? So now, condemnation. Condemnation. Remember, where the hose goes this way. Condemnation is I make a mistake, and I start to I start to I feel like Jesus is against me. Right? How I mean, know he's not? His arms are always outstretched towards me. Right? Can you do that for me, pretty please? Thank you. Not a thing, man. (laughs) And so when I'm in condemnation, how many know I need to get my eyes off of my mistakes? And I need to get my eyes on Jesus. I need to come back here and recognize. Now here's the thing. How many know no matter how many mistakes I make, I'm still joined to the Lord. You need to know that. He don't leave. This ain't the old covenant. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Where are you? You're in Christ. Is there anything wicked in Jesus? Is there anything bad in Jesus? Where are you? So I don't actually leave him ever because he's moved in. But I can leave him in the awareness of my mind and enter into a state of unbelief called condemnation and I'll try to ground myself from the presence of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord. You ever love someone but they didn't believe it? It don't matter how much you love them, if they don't believe it, they're not going to enjoy it. Condemnation seeks to drive a wedge in between us and God so that we can't enjoy God's love and God's favor and God's blessing. Y'all tracking me here? Now let me, let me show you the next way self-righteousness tries to come in. And this is, this is where a lot of people live their lives. We've learned how to come out of condemnation back into righteousness. How do you do it? Well, you got to speak. <clears throat> you got to say, I thank you, Lord. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're dealing with an addiction, if you're addicted to something... Hold fast to your righteousness. If you're dealing with addiction, while you're doing whatever it is that you're addicted to, thank the Lord that you're the righteousness of God. Listen, don't, don't, don't think He leaves. He don't leave. See, we've been taught He leaves, and it's empowered us to sin. God, I'm going to go sin for a little bit, so I need you to like right. take 10. <laughs> yeah, Take 10 or 15, Lord, because I'm going to sin. How's He going to leave? He's moved into you. He can't leave you. It's hard to sin against the presence of the Lord. When you know that he's there loving you, it's hard to stay in sin. So when you are making a mistake, you think, Lord, I thank you that I'm the righteousness of God. I thank you. This is not what I'm called to. This is not my identity. This is not who I am. I'm a child of God. And I promise you, if you can keep running your mouth, if you can keep, identifying with your new creation, that sin will break off your life. It'll be snapped right off of you, man. Not as a result of your willpower, not as a result of your strength, but as a result of the Lord's grace and the identity He's given to you. If you'll have the audacity to say what God says about you, He'll do it. He'll do it for you. And you know what will happen? You'll lose the desire for it. It'll set you free from pornography. It'll set you free from alcoholism. It'll set you free from drug addiction. It'll set you free from anger. It'll set, he, he will set you free from worry and fear and lying and shame and stealing and anything. He'll set you free from it. But he needs you to agree with him so that you don't identify with the failure when you're in it. Because the old teaching says, hey, look at you. Look what you're doing. This is who you are. God's left you. God's not with you. That's garbage. The prodigal son, when he was eating slop out of the pig pen, was still the son. Can I get an amen? It don't change nothing. And if we would more effectively preach the gospel to people and to our young people, they wouldn't wouldn't spend so much time thinking that's who they are. Can I get an amen? They're a treasure. They're an absolute treasure. Their worth is not based on the mistakes they make. Their worth is based on who God says that they are. And if you can just get someone to say what God is saying, say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so we've learned how to come out of condemnation, but this is what happens a lot of times. I'm in condemnation. I make a mistake. I come back to Jesus, righteousness of God. But now I start doing some things good. Now the grace is flowing. Next thing you know, hey, I'm doing some good stuff now. I'm doing some great stuff. All right. So now all of a sudden, (laughs) I start to begin to establish my righteousness. See, look at me. I, I have a prayer time. I have time that I spend in the Bible. I witnessed to so-and-so last week. I prayed with that person. That gift was flowing. And all of a sudden, my attention starts to get off of Jesus and onto me. This is so important, guys. This right here is so important. Because as I start to do well, how I many you know... That when you do well it 's still jesus that 's your righteousness. When you make a mistake it 's still jesus it 's your righteousness. when you do well it 's still jesus it 's your righteousness. but what we 've done is we, we 've come out of failure we 've went to grace and we 've went to the lord 's righteousness, and then we start doing well, and then you know what happens? Pride starts to develop and then the and the, ro- and, and the hose gets kinked in this direction <clears throat> self righteousness and pride. how I of mean, this is the The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. All of a sudden, see, look at me. Well, I'm not like so and so. I don't, you know, I'm not like Jeremiah. I wasn't a drug addict and an alcoholic, you know. I'm, 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 I'm. (sighs) And here's the thing you know, when pride comes and the hose gets kinked, you know why? Because God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And so when I start to try to establish my own righteousness, and I get in a state of pride, I'm pushing back from Jesus as my righteousness, and I'm trying to establish my own righteousness. Now, in this place of pride and self-righteousness, I start to think I'm better than other people. I start to look down on other people. Listen, you cannot minister to people and look down at them at the same time. You cannot minister to people and condemn them at the same time. Here's the reality. Is there anybody in this room any better than anybody else? Is there anybody in this world any better than anybody else? Have all fallen short of the glory of God? Have all sinned? No one could keep the law. Can we turn that fan off pretty please? No one can keep the law. So if you broke one, you broke them all. Can I get an amen? See, this isn't about good people and bad people. This is about dead people and alive people. People that receive Jesus are alive. People that have not, they're dead. How many know that there are people who are unsaved that can be a lot nicer and kinder than people that are saved? Yeah. True story. Yeah. How many know Christians can make and do dumb stuff just, you know, hardcore? So it's not actually about behavior, it's about an identity. Now, ultimately, we want the love of God to flow and we want to represent Jesus in the earth. But when I am here and I've pushed back from the Lord and I'm in a place of pride, and I'm working so hard, and I'm doing this right, and I'm doing this right, and I'm doing this right, how many know it's just a matter of time before I fall? Why? Because grace is now frustrated. And now I'm about to fall. And when I fall, I'm going to fall back into condemnation. But then I'm going to remember I'm the righteousness of God. And then I'm going to confess the righteousness of the Lord, and I'm going to remember grace, and I'm going to look back to Jesus, come back to the Lord, that's right, I'm righteous. And now here I am in grace again. All right, I'll start to do stuff good again. Woo! I'm doing good. I'm doing good. <clears throat> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm awesome. I'm doing good. Now I'm back in pride again. Grace is frustrated. And now I'm, I'm three steps away from a fall. Are y'all tracking me here? And this is how a lot of us live our lives. It's like, it, it, we're, we're looking at the Lord as our righteousness, and then we're self-righteous in condemnation or self-righteous in pride. How I mean, the only way to overcome this is even when I'm doing everything right. Even when I'm, you know, operating in love, I'm operating in peace, I'm operating in joy, and I'm doing good things, I still must remember that it's Him that has made me right. Not me. Never me. Always Him. And if I can, David said in the Psalms, he said, I've set the Lord before my face and he upholds me with the right hand of his righteousness. David lived his life like this. I mean no, you can live your life like this. The Lord is your righteousness when you do right. The Lord is your righteousness when you do wrong. The Lord is your righteousness when you do right, the Lord is your righteousness when you do wrong. And slowly a stability starts to come into my life. My hose is open, grace is flowing and I'm overcoming. I'm winning. In this life, I'm overcoming, I'm reigning in life. And every good thing that happens to you, every good thing that happens to me, Jesus gets the credit for. It's dangerous to take credit for yourself. Why? Because you'll start to establish your own righteousness and you'll fall from grace. Don't do it. Just just keep the Lord. Keep the Lord in front of you. Jesus is my righteousness. And so, what I think that we need to develop is not just confessing our righteousness when we fall into mistakes. But let's confess our righteousness when we're in positions of doing everything right so that we don't live roller coaster Christian lives of this. Let's, this is where the valleys are brought up and the mountains are brought low and there's a place of consistency in my life because my eyes aren't on me. My eyes are on Jesus. Y'all tracking me here? Thank you, sir. Let's give it up for, for Tim. <clears throat> Let's turn to Galatians chapter 2 real quick. And I want, to, I want to just drive this home because Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What frustrates the grace of God when I try to make it about me? What I do good or what I do bad? I'll read it to you in a, in, in a different translation. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. When we make it about us, that's when, we, that's, when we, that's, when we, that's when we mess things up. When we make it about what we've done good, and make it about what we've done bad. It's not about us at all. And I know I keep saying that, but I really like want us to get a hold of it. I really want you to have this in your life, because... <clears throat> This will bring a stability in your life that nothing else can. When when you do right, you don't get puffed up. And when you make mistakes, you don't get condemned. The greatest thing the Lord can set you free from is ourselves. He wants us to be free from us. Amen? Because when I I, I get too focused on me, that's when things start to go wrong. Now, Now, turn to Romans chapter 10 here quickly and we'll close. Um. This is why this is this is this is um, this is why the children of Israel messed up because they were trying to establish their own righteousness. Grace reigns through righteousness. Always remember the kingdom's gonna flow through it. So I don't I don't want to get into pride and I don't want to get into condemnation. I just want to stay focused on Jesus. And that's why baby Christians are so mature. We we use the term baby Christians, but that's because their focus is on Jesus. They're not looking at anything else. That's why they have so much joy and so much peace. But we as the church teach them out of grace. We put them right into the field of legalism and we make them work hard to try to earn what they received at the cross when they first got saved. we got to quit doing that. Romans 10 and verse 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law or the end of behavior for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, I want to show you, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And so, what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about embracing Jesus, I'm talking about submitting to Him as your righteousness. You say, you know what, Lord, my good behavior is not what makes me right with you. My bad behavior is not what what causes me to be wrong with you. I submit to you as my right standing. I submit to you. I submit to you. And see, when we get caught up in legalism and pride, we're saying, ah, Jesus, I don't need you. I'm doing great right now. But he knows if you continue to walk down that road, it's just a matter of time before pride develops and you fall. I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again because I want you to get it. I'm just hitting it from different angles. Don't just submit to him. him. Let him be your righteousness in the midst of your mistakes and in the midst of your triumphs. Because if you can allow him to be right here with you eye to eye, then you can walk through this life unaffected by all the junk that's out there. You know, most of what people are trying to do is they're trying to establish their own righteousness. I'm talking about saved and unsaved people. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? I mean, you know, there's a whole lot of competition in the world. Who, who, who has the most money? Who's the prettiest? Who, who's the most educated? Who's the smartest? Who's got the best car? Who's got the biggest house? Who's, 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 who's? You know, all of that stuff is man's attempt at covering his own shame. All of that stupid, competitive stuff. And when you, when you got the Lord right here, you're unaffected by all that. You don't chase after fig leaves. You don't chase after a worldly covering. You know the Lord has redeemed you. He's the one who's made you righteous. You don't have to compete with anybody. You don't have to be anything. with any, you, don't have to, you don't have to get caught up in all that. Because that's the vast majority of human conduct is, look at me, I'm okay. Look at me, I'm, you know, I'm pretty. Look at me, I'm skinny. Look at me, I'm wealthy. I'm worthy. I'm 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 strong. I'm I'm masculine. I'm whatever. All these things that they're seeking after, they're fig leaves because they feel naked whether they realize it or not. Most of them are like lemmings, man, just running after all this stuff. When the it's only the only the Lord can satisfy you. It's him, man. And man, when, you, when he becomes your righteousness, and you start getting established in it, it's like all, all the chains of all those games start dropping off of you. And like you leave the matrix of this world, and, you're, and you start operating in the kingdom. Because at the end of the day, you know what matters? What's the Lord telling you to do? What's he telling you? It don't matter what anybody says. You don't, you don't, you don't need anybody's permission to fulfill the call of God on your life. What's the Lord telling you to do? That's all that matters. And and because because in the new covenant, it's a spirit-led life, man. Because I mean, the spirit of God may lead you to do things that people don't understand. In fact, I guarantee you, if you're really following God, people don't understand you. They don't. The Bible says that the spiritual man is judged by no man. Why? Because you're being led by something they can't see. And so, just follow the Lord. You're the righteousness of God. You're forgiven. You're blessed. God's for you. Just follow the Lord. Spend time with him. Amen? You know, I don't spend time with him to be made right with him. I spend time with him because I need him. Like, I need him. I need his strength. I need, I need his love so that I can love people. And, and so, like, and then just, let's just go out there and kick butt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let's just go out there and win. You know, and, and, and we may not be winning in terms of what the world considers winning, but we're winning according to what the kingdom is. You know what? How I many you know Ananias won his race? He finished his course. He prayed for one dude. And as a result of praying for this one dude, the whole world has been changed. We hear this guy's name one time. I just wonder how many people were willing to be in Ananias. How many of you know Peter struggled with it? How many of you know God tried to get Peter to preach to the Gentiles? He gave him a vision. He dropped the net three times. And Peter was like, I ain't touching what's common. Peter's over here trying to rebuke the Lord. <laughs> I ain't doing that. Why? God was asking Peter to do something that God had never asked anybody to do before. God was asking Peter to go to the unclean. And they had been taught their entire lives if you're going to be a good Jew, you've got to hang out with Jews and eat what Jews eat. And so God came to Peter and said, Look, man, I need you to do this. And how I many you know he did preach to Cornelius? But how I many you know as a whole, really, he ministered mostly to the Jews? How I many you know Paul tried to do the same thing? He tried to minister to the Jews. And you know what? It almost got him killed. It did get him killed once. Nobody wanted to preach to the Gentiles because it wasn't cool to preach to the Gentiles. It didn't look good on paper. But how many of the Lord needed, how many of the Lord wanted to save these people? He's like, look guys, I didn't just die for y'all. I died for all. Amen. Amen. So... Let, let God lead you. Amen? That's just the bottom line. That's all that really matters. Nothing, nothing else matters. Amen? Yeah. Nothing else matters. Yeah? It doesn't always look powerful, no, no. It doesn't have totally looks yep, yep. I would dare say that a, a good portion of the time it does. <laughs> he likes that. Because see, when, you, when you're out there in the ridiculous zone, you're walking on the water. Yeah. And ain't nobody out there on the water. Just you and Jesus. And He's all that you need. But the people that are willing to go out on the water, they know the Lord in a way maybe that the people that stayed in the boat didn't. Because when you're out on the water, He's all you got. You don't got anything else. And there's a place of you don't have a safety net. You don't have a backup plan. It's just you and the Lord. He loves that. Because He's out there like, you trust me, don't you? You trust me. Keep walking. Keep walking. You start to sink, I'll save you. You trust me. Just keep walking. I know there's all... how I many all the critics were on the boat. Listen, man, you're always... If you're doing anything that matters, you're going to have critics. If you, don't have, if you don't have people attacking you and criticizing you, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> and, and you know, different people have different levels of visibility, but you're always going to have people that criticize you. And it'd be great if they were just all like like... None unbelievers, but how many know it's the Christians that will criticize you? It's the Christians that don't want you walking on the water, it's the Christians that want you in the boat. They want you to be in their box, they want you to do it the way they do it. And you might not be called to do it the way they do it, just follow the Lord. And don't feel bad about them being in the boat. They can be, they can, how many know they still had church in the boat? How many know Jesus was still God of the guys that were in the boat? He still was. Maybe they were called to the boat. Maybe Peter was called to the waves. Amen? That's why we have to be so careful not to be critical of other ministries. I'm just so tired of that. I'm so tired of that in the body of Christ. Here's the reality. Ain't nobody got it all figured out. Everybody's doing, everybody's doing what they can do, and there is no human being or ministry on earth that has God completely figured out and is preaching 100% truth. Nobody. Nobody. Some of us are hitting it in some areas, and we all missing it in some areas. And that will never change. So it's like, let's... Because God may be doing something over here that we don't understand. Now, listen. There are certain truths that are truth, and there will always be truth. And we don't compromise that. But in taking a stand for the truth, I mean, you're not attacking a group of people, you're just saying this is true. How many live in a world where everybody once says, well, your truth offends me? Well, I'm sorry, it's the truth. So I'm not, I'm not saying not that. Truth is still truth, but... To their own master they stand or fall. Amen? Amen. Okay. I'm done. So I'm going to shut up. But I want to pray. I want to pray. So, amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you and praise you for who you are and what you're doing. We're grateful. And I thank you that you help us to be to be everything that you've dreamed for us to be. I thank you, Lord, that we step out of any cocoon that was created by man. Any hindrance. Lord, we walk out on the water with you. Just like Moses said, Lord, as long as you come with us, we're going. And Lord, I, I just thank you for that. And I thank you that, that as, we, as we step out, as we move forward, that you teach us how to keep you before us. Just you right in front of us, Lord, eye to eye with the Lord. So that we would trust in you as our righteousness, Lord, not our failures and not our victories, just you. And I thank you that as a result of that, Lord, the, the, the Spirit of God just flows through us, Lord. And we're excited about being your kids in the day and age that we live in, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, everybody here and everybody watching online, they're all in different places. And I thank you, Lord, that, that we don't compare ourselves with somebody else and don't feel like somehow we're falling short or not doing this because we're not doing what somebody else is doing, Lord. But I thank you that we, we all embrace the season that we're in and we encourage and celebrate each other. Because I know as I was speaking, maybe some people feel like, well, I'm just sitting in the boat. Well, maybe you're called to be in the boat right now, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's different callings. But the key, Lord, I thank you that we all just hear your voice and allow you to lead us in what you would have us do in the right now season. And Lord, we just we we thank you for that. I thank you that distractions go to the wayside. I thank you that we'd hear your voice above every other voice. Hear your voice above every other voice. Hear your voice above every other voice. Hear your voice above every other other voice. Let us hear the voice of the Father. I thank you for it, Lord. You will never condemn us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. We thank you for great, for great days ahead, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, just want to worship the Lord in giving here. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with what? With the same measure that you use, you will be measured back to you. Now, here's the thing. God's blessing on your life is because of Jesus, period, okay? You never earn anything from God, but God wants to use your life to bless other people. And what God wants to do is he wants to get your heart established in love so that you live for something other than yourself. Y'all tracking me here? You know what fear does? Fear says, me, myself, and I. God wants to set us free from stinginess and from fearfulness and to allow Him to get things to us and through us. To us and through us. And that's why this passage says, give and it will be given to you. Because when God finds somebody who money isn't their God, Who who, who finds somebody who things aren't their god, and he can get it to them and through them? How many know you're going to put more in this person's hands? Why? Because you can trust them, because money's not their god. And 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 this, and so many times people think, well, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give when I have a bunch. I'm just gonna give when I'm not just talking about giving in the church. I'm talking about giving everywhere. But God wants you to steward what's been given to you where you're at. How many know there's a portion of what's been given to you that's seed. There's a the portion that's given you that's bread, amen. And God wants you to allow Him to lead you in giving, so that stuff doesn't have a hold of you. So important, man. And so what'll happen is as you just let. How I mean, you know, many? Who who tells you who to give? The Lord. Can I get an amen? It's not the pastor. It's between you and the Lord. That's where pastors have messed up. They try to tell people what they're supposed to give and all that. I don't agree with that whatsoever. It's between them and it's between them and God. But as you let God show you where to give and what to give, you get set free from fear. Love gets established in your heart and then God says i got to get more to this person because there's, it's flowing through them. And they're becoming an answered prayer in somebody else's life. And that's what God intends. And so so many times we'll see someone you know, who may be successful or whatever and we think, well they're givers but I'm not really a giver because I can't give. No sweetheart, we are all called to give. But what just go to the Lord. The Bible says God gives seed to the sower, because the real thing is not God's not just looking for the material stuff. God wants to set your heart free from fear of there's not enough. Are y'all tracking me here? Anyway, you know, with if you need to give an envelope, Jesus will get you one. I mean, Tim, just kidding. Zz top Jesus, Amen. <laughs> that sounds like a T-shirt. Amen. Awesome. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give. We ask you to bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're not done.